This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. All right, I'll stop singing for today. At least until ranked. We got a good ranking today with the kickoff of NFL football. Tonight, it's our driven by Wayscar Ford. It is the new Brock and Salk. We're waiting on Jerry DePoto. should be with us in just a moment. It goes quickly, man. It's a lot faster with you around. I'll tell you that much. Holy cow. I don't have to say much. Yeah. It's but I'm going to say ranked. That's number one on Mora right there. That was that little zinger she shot your yeah, way. Yeah, that hurt. That one, that one definitely What was it? How are you bit. even married? Was that, you know was what? It, was we that don't the need line? to revisit it, especially okay. not with Jerry on the phone. Oh, sorry. Jerry, good morning. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. How are you? Jerry? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Hello. How are you? Hey, good morning, Mike. He's pondering the same thing. Yeah. How are you even married, Saul? <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's an age-old question. Uh, and that voice you hear, Jerry, is Brock Heward, who has returned uh, for the revamped new Brock and Salk Show version 3. I, this is magical. It's a great moment. And it must mean that football season is upon. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, no. Actually, no, not no. really. No, it must mean that for the first time in 14 years of doing media, these Mariners are real, Jerry. They're real. They're real. They're real. The roster is and real. And I lived here in the 90s. I grew up in Washington. I remember what it was like in the 90s, the early 2000s. And so I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I mean, after pedaling some some hard miles for some years, I'm going to get back on and enjoy this ride that your ball club and your organization has been on this season. Been a blast. That's a much better story to me than football season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, do you guys ever think about a formula for winning of sort of what you need to do in any given game to win? Uh, I mean, I, I guess that's part of what we do at the beginning of every season is we just talk about the different elements of the game. And and I, I can't say that there's a formula to it, but sticking to the standards and, and executing fundamentally. I, I think yesterday is a great example of, of maybe the first time in a while that we just haven't done it, you know, where we've played an uncharacteristically sloppy game. Our formula is just to do the little things, and, and we've done those things consistently well all season. How do you guys measure defense? Because there's a lot of debate, and certainly that you can go deep into the analytics world with range and ground covered, and, and errors seems to be kind of like batting average, a thing of the 1950s because, well, different players have different range, and they're called differently in every ballpark. How do you guys internally measure defense I, the the simplest way and the way that we find most valuable is how good at you are converting at converting balls in play into outs. Simple as that. And you know we are very efficient in doing that. And you can look through the lens of of standard old school fielding percentage. You know there were very good. Uh, not making errors were generally very good. We have been, you know, one of the most successful teams in employing shifts and converting balls in play into outs, and you know, and really in outs above average and in, in range factor, more modern, you know, statistics, we we're pretty good there too. You know, we're not top of class in in those areas, but we're pretty good, and you know, we are quite good at converting the balls in play into outs, which I think is the most important. Jerry, I feel like we'd like to help in some way, and there's only so many ways in which we can help the cause. 
But listening to some of the national media, which is sort of the same as the North New York media, but whatever, listening to them talk about how uh, the the Baltimore Orioles run this year is likely going to lead to another manager of the year coming from the AL East. It, it just is there anything we can do here on this show, on this station, et cetera, to get Scott the press he needs to be the manager of the year? I mean, fair or unfair, I, I think he should be the favorite. And um, we all believe, and and no disrespect at all to Kevin Cash, who does a great job, uh, we all believe that Scott was, was that guy last year, and, and I think he's showing it again. And and that's very similar to where, you know, the, the raise Kevin Cash was in the previous two years, you know. Done a great job taking the team, team from, you know, young and fledgling to a, a championship-level contender and and i think that's what you're watching happen with scott and talking about these things you know efficiency and and the 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 way this team generally and consistently hits on on doing the small things well i think that's really representative of a good manager in the dugout and good programs and a good coaching staff and you know it's a that's i think what this team's about so the more you know we stress or or illustrate those things the more kindly it shines upon scott and manager jerry years ago there was an old crusty veteran on your roster and I think it was Scott's first year uh, going into being a manager. And I remember asking this and being all excited. And we were down there for spring training and doing our shows right, right outside the, right outside the facility and having a blast. And I remember asking this crusty old vet, "Hey, man, had to tell me about all these meetings. This is great, and it's just right up my alley. I just love all this psychology and stuff." And he turned to me and said, "Let's see if he can manage a bullpen." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." That kind of killed my bit of excitement, but okay. I mean, in years later, and this year is no different than a season ago, the way that he and the staff and you and everybody, right, I think it's a cumulative effort, but the way that bullpen is managed, doesn't that have to be near the top of the list of managerial achievement? I, you know, our bullpen management is maybe the best thing that we do. And I think it's, it, too, is something the manager in the dugout is the one who is pulling the lever on who's coming in next. And, and those pitchers have to execute. And our bullpen for two consecutive years now has been filled with, with pitchers who have executed. And, you know, but the, the, the magic sauce there is just being prepared. And, and that's where I think Scott separates himself is, you know, he is always prepared and nothing takes him by surprise. The, the decisions are consistent to the point where I think now most of our fan base can probably, you know, with some degree of accuracy determine who's coming in next because it, it's been that consistent. And, and when the guys are clicking and you know who's hitting, you, you can predict who should come next based on where you are in the lineup. And and we've done it without having your standard, you know, 40 save closer or just a simple three-man tandem who are hitting on innings seven, eight, and nine. It's a mix and a match, and, and it's something that happens at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, not at nine o'clock at night yeah i just generally predict it's going to be the guy with the mid to high 90s fastball and the devastating slider it's one of those guys <laughs> <laughs> there's only six of them so i figure i've got a pretty decent chance of being right um hey he's obviously been a big part of the story certainly for the last week but really over the last few months cal raleigh we've talked a little bit about what happened when he went down to the minors this year but can you take me back a little bit what was what was his development like you know, what you're watching is Cal. The, the, what you see right now, 
take a walk, hit the ball out of the ballpark, really manage a game well, stick with your pitchers, and he's a good receiver. And and right now, I think he's among the best throwing catchers in the league. And and that's something of a of a really refreshing development. He's always been good at it, and right now he's elite in that area. But th- this is not a surprise to us. This is this is kind of who Cal has been since he entered our system and it's uh he was very advanced when he stepped on the field uh out of florida state and he's done nothing but continue to get better and you know through his development if you look at his track record he's he has always been the slugging catcher we've always and i think you've heard me talk about this for for years now his his leadership behind the plate his attentiveness to a game plan I think that right now his awareness of the lineup that we are managing against in a given game is as good as any veteran catcher in the league. And, and he's doing it with just over a year of service in the big leagues, which I think is a testament to, to how well Cal knows the game. Jerry, if you were Jerry DePoto here uh, with us, if you were to do a deep dive and, and excuse me for, for going a little nerdy here, um, but I, I've got Wisconsin this weekend. Scott Service will love that. The Badgers in the Washington State. And Wisconsin is known as a developmental program. They have to be. They take two- and three-star frames, and then they develop them into NFL guys. That's just what they do, as well as anybody maybe not named Iowa or right there with Iowa in, in that part of the country. When you look at Cal Raleigh and you look at the clay of what he was at Florida State, and Benetti was on with us earlier this week, Jason Benetti, and said, oh, I saw him in college, knew he'd be good. I don't know if he could develop into this. What are some of the raw goods that you have to have? Some of the raw tools is a slugging catcher that you just say, either you got these and we can develop them or they're just not there and it will never develop. I, first and foremost, baseball IQ. And, and that's where Cal separates himself immediately. Uh, and you, when, when you sit down and watch Cal, when you meet him, when you talk to him, it's not hard to, to, I guess, run it back to this. He was raised by a baseball coach. <laughs> and, you know, Cal's dad's a coach. You, you can see it in the way Cal approaches the game. He's always had an old school way about him that, that really is, is inviting to teammates. And, and you know, no player, <clears throat> no, excuse me, no player in college is going to look exactly like, you know, they, they will turn out to be in the big leagues. But there's – Cal can move the bat. He has – you know, it's not your natural field to hit to all fields type. It's more, you know, pull approach. But what you're seeing this year and, and maybe the biggest development for Cal has been his strike zone management. And, you know, it's something he did relatively well in the minor leagues, but he's still going to run a strikeout rate like he will now. And, you know, what got him when he first came to the big leagues was chase. He was just chasing in, in too many different zones to be able to maximize his, his offensive skill set. And right now he calmed himself. He got himself in a good place like, like he would have been in Modesto or, or in Arkansas. And he's just calm in the box. He manages the strike zone. He's a much better two-strike hitter. And the way he's handling strike-breaking balls now, like you saw with his latest home run, it's that strike-breaking ball, which used to be a little bit of a, of a kryptonite, can now just it's he's on it, and he's hitting it out of the ballpark. He's not just hitting it. Obviously, he did that work, and, and you got to give him a lot of credit for, for the ability to make those adjustments. But I find myself thinking about Jared Kelnick as you're talking and, and as we've been talking a lot about Raleigh the last week or two and, and thinking that Cal is three, almost three and a half years older than Jared is. How important is age 
as a as a factor in making some of those changes and adjustments? You know, I think it's age. I think it's and, and with age comes maturity and and understanding what you can and can't do in a given moment, and and then focusing on how to improve in the in the areas where you struggle. And and you know, and Cal is really, I guess, representative of that. I mean, we're going to play the Braves here starting tomorrow, and and one of the the biggest stories for the Braves this year has been the the breakout of Kyle Wright, who at one point was the, the third pick in the draft and, and really struggled through three or four years of, of up and down service in the big leagues. And then you look up this year and he's, he's one of the best pitchers in the national league. And, and it would be easy to say, boy, no one saw that coming other than they did. He was the third pick in the draft and they just stuck with him and gave him the opportunity to keep learning and make those adjustments. And, and, and it is about, it's about experience and it's about exposure and, We've talked about it a million times before. So many of the young minor leaguers that missed the 2020 season that were shortened in 2021 and and many of whom found themselves in the big leagues, maybe before they should have been. And and now a lot of those guys are just they're, they're trying to figure it out. And, you know, Cal, like Kyle Wright, is one of those who seems to have figured it out. And and Jared's still working on it. Uh, obviously, Luis Castillo's stuff is the envy of most in baseball. The movement is ridiculous. I do wonder, Jerry, at times, and we saw it in Oakland uh, just, just twice so far, and yesterday when he does get hit, is that movement just up? Is, is that oversimplifying? Because my eyes, as I just watch it, I don't look at all the metrics, but it seems like about the only time he gets hit is if that changeup or that two-seamer or that movement is up in the zone. Is that the, the kind of bugaboo when he does get hit? You know, it's as as crazy as this may sound, Luis Castillo is the hardest pitcher to hit in Major League Baseball when he's up. Uh, and I, I think it's a, like a sub .60 batting average. You know, we'll use an old number. <laughs> uh, he just doesn't get hit when he's up in the zone. And I, I think yesterday's outing may be different than Oakland's. It, you you can't be better than, than Luis was in the first two innings. And and then he went out there and he there's for lack of a better way to put it we got the nickel and dime inning it was the 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 error to start the inning it was the bunt base hit it was the the ground ball double that hugged the line and was just fair you know we, we we'll call it now in today's time just getting babbit and he got babbit and it's uh, everybody's going to have those moments and and you know as a result we wound up on the the downside of the game but. I, I do think that Luis has all the weapons that you just described. There's really no no one way that he's going to get beat. He's he's got live action down. He is almost impossible to hit when he's up above the zone. He's got the change up and the slider. You know, and yesterday we just ran into a team that was competitive and put the ball in play. And that was the biggest difference from the, the first six hitters to, to what happened in the next three innings. And for those newer baseball fans that are just coming uh, as a part of this uh, of this Mariners run, BABIP is a batting average on balls in play, right? And that's sort of a, you mentioned batting average being an old stat. BABIP is sort of a newer one, but pretty handy to help tell a story, right, of, of what someone's actually doing at the plate and, and whether it's sustainable. I think so. You know, you look at the, the way that that inning developed and, you know, it was the the Elvis Andrus bunt. It was the the Eloy Jimenez double. You know, hugging the the third base line. It was the the Jose Abreu ground ball. 
you know, let's call it the squibber that beat the shift. And those aren't, those aren't always going to be hits more often than not, they're going to be converted into outs. And, you know, that's why I mentioned at the start of the show, as we played an uncharacteristically sloppy game, those are things that we typically don't see uh, in present day Mariners baseball as we, we convert those outs. And, and I can't say that outside of the first one, which was clearly an error, that there's any obvious opportunity to convert. It was just bad luck, bad Babbitt. Hey, uh, we talk a lot about baseball being a marathon more than a sprint, right? And the six months of the season plus spring training, and then hopefully the postseason, everything that goes into a long, long baseball season. But as you, as you get now to almost the last few weeks and it becomes more of a sprint to the finish, how are decisions made differently with with almost a different goal in mind at this time of the year? Well, I think you started to see it in this in this homestand, and not necessarily because we're close to the finish line, but with Sunday's game in Cleveland, you know, we were I mean, tip to tip. It was about an eight and a half hour experience uh, to get that game in on Sunday night. We landed in, in Seattle about 2.45 in the morning on, on Monday morning, and we had a day game. And, you know, when when you go through travel like that, you've got the long flight. It's through the middle of the night. You've got to get back out on the field and play. You just know that there's going to be an element of fatigue, you know, and fatigue plus Lance Lynn and Shadows created a, a really sleepy-looking game on Monday. And, then, and I think the way – you know, we handled that, and I know the way Scott built the lineup was intended to start giving some guys a little bit of a break. And, you know, you saw Gino get a day off in there where it was just a pinch hit. You saw Mitch get his standard DH day. Uh, you saw Wink get a day off to make sure that these guys are just getting off their feet. You saw it yesterday with Cal. Uh, and, and you just stick to your guns, you know. When Kurt Casale came up with two runners on and one out yesterday, that's ordinarily it's time where you see Cal grab a bat and get up there and hit but they've been they've been grinding so hard and that travel coming into seattle was so rough that just trying to get to today where they can just have a day to exhale to sleep and, and get back on it and because for the rest of the month you know you're going to get down to those final two weeks and the bullpen is likely to, to come in and you might see more one plus inning outings you know you're going to you're going to see Scott manage games a little bit more postseason-ish, and you know the little things will really start to to be amplified because I think that's what you know postseason baseball is about. It's about converting outs. It's about pitching well, and in in today's time, hitting the ball out of the ballpark, which we've generally done pretty well lately. Uh, Jerry, I got two dumb questions, obligatory dumb questions to uh, to end my round of questioning today, and my first back with you, which is a blast. Number one. Because of those shadows, is there ever a thought to close the roof on yeah, sunny days? Boy, when you get days, like, you get days like these, it almost seems sacrilegious to close the roof. I know. I, I, how dare you even ask that question, I, Brock? Because what, what kind of question is because that? Because we are in it's it. Beautiful out. We're in it to win it. We're not in it to get a suntan. You can do that before and after, and it's beautiful I, in August and September. I can't believe you would ask this. I'm just legitimately asking if Shadows and you facing Lance Lynn, who, by the way, is a guy at the top of the zone and the curve off of it, and you have Shadows, it makes it nearly impossible. I'm just wondering if it's ever even brought up, hey, what about closing the roof and eliminating Shadows or until the sun goes down or sun goes past it and we can open it up and it's not an issue? 
you know, we've never had that conversation. And as a matter of fact, uh, yesterday as the shadows were starting to creep, uh, you know, our general thought was, man, what a beautiful day for baseball. Uh, oh, man, it's the seventh inning. There's the shadows. And, you know, you, you know, they're coming. And that's been and, and it's not just T-Mobile Park. That's baseball. You know, a, a day game, you're always going to run into that shadow. And some ballparks, it's more amplified than others, but it's it's part of it. And, okay. and you you have to manage the the fact that you get there. We have the benefit of a roof, but boy, it'd be it'd be a sad thing to to cut off a day like right. these or okay. days like All these. Right. If you need us to talk to the fans and just suck it up and de- deal with it for winning, we can Don't do that. Us. Can do I am that. not a part of this. Okay, me fine. I'll do that. I'll do that. Uh, you mentioned the guys resting today. I am curious, Jerry. Back in your day, when you got one of these off days after the run that, of grind that you have been on, what do guys do? Do they just, is it all over the board? Do guys need to run errands? Do some guys just need to totally get away and go climb and Mount Sai? Are they in bed all day? What typically is uh, are the guys on the team doing on an off day like this? You know, it, it depends. It depends on your, your personal status, I suppose. Uh, you know, as a player, I always had kids. I'd go home, would do something with the kids, would, would, would take them to do something fun that was not baseball-y and, and just get away from it. I know our, you know, our players now, we've got a, a group of five or six that will always go golfing. When they get their off day, they'll find somewhere to, to, to dig in and play golf. We've got another group that tends to be explorers. You know, they'll, they'll go do something in and around the Seattle area. You know, go to the islands. They'll hit. They'll, they'll do something. And what I like about it most is the guys who don't have families to, to go home to at this stage in their lives, they do things together. You know, this, the, there's something special about the the togetherness of this team you know four or five guys are going to go golfing and and another four or five are going to go exploring and they're they're always together very rarely are you ever going to run into you know one of our players who's single or doesn't have kids uh, and they're not doing something with one of their teammates which which really intrigues me about how this team is wired it's interesting seeing uh, that's a fun answer, and I know fans love hearing that stuff. Uh, we are getting to meet some of these guys a little bit better and get to know them a little bit more. And I feel like uh, the other night we discovered a new part of the Logan Gilbert persona, uh, not just the goatee, but the emotion and everything coming off the mound. What did you make of that? You know, I, I, I guess it was a little bit surprising because it's usually not so obvious with Logan. But he is a competitor, and there's a, that's the first time it really manifested itself in kind of outward expression. But he has, he has some kind of competitive streak to him, and, and you can see it in his face when he's out there. You know, Logan has a game face, and, and it's, uh, that's always been a part of what he does, and, and that's kind of the, the, you know, that Walter type of alter ego that, that many have talked about. But, you know, to see him rise up, dig down and, and come up. He's throwing 98, 99 miles an hour as he neared a hundred pitches and, and saved his best bullets for those last two hitters, which I thought was, you know, Hey, it was integral to us converting that win at the time. It was a one nothing game. And, and, you know, to see him express himself like that, I think his teammates enjoyed it. I think they might've been a little surprised to, to, to hear the yell, but it's a, it's, I think it's something that gets the guys in the dugout fired up and, you know, Logan's a pretty quiet, mild mannered guy. And, and uh, to watch him erupt like that was, was pretty fun. 
Well, I was in the crowd that night, and it got the crowd pretty fired up as well. So uh, great to see. Jerry, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, It's nice to have you get to talk to Brock. This is very exciting for me, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Can't wait, guys.